Conversations, transformative wisdom for the 21st century. Tonight's topic is how do we flourish together? Our speakers are Father Frank Buckley of the Society of Jesus, clinical director of the Center in Hollywood, providing services to those suffering from homelessness and isolation in Hollywood, and Mr. Jamal Adams, director of equity and inclusion, social studies teacher, and head basketball coach at Loyola High School. They join us in seeking together how it is that we can flourish in our world, in our city, and in our times. Let's join their conversation as Frank Buckley describes the origin of his interest in the concept of flourishing. My dissertation was actually flourishing on a Jesuit campus, evidence-based practices for flourishing. and. The, when I started that dissertation, I was using a lot of the work out of the University of Pennsylvania, and they were calling it happiness at the time. And then something in the field shifted to flourish. And what it was about was happiness certainly is part of it. So I like to give the example, I love dark chocolate, and it's pretty healthy, and I eat one of those Trader Joe's dark chocolate. Like I start with a piece but by the time I finished two bars, I realized now I've got to go do a yoga class. And this belt is getting tighter, and I'm not quite as happy as I thought I was going to be. Flourishing cuts a lot deeper. Flourishing is, I think of Saint Irenaeus. The glory of God is a person fully human, fully alive. What are we like when we're in that capacity? And uh, so, so when given the opportunity by Bob. As some of you I've seen before, any chance, Father Steve Prevett will call me Father Flourish, but any <laughs> chance I get to use the evidence-based practices, I get tired of hearing myself speak, but like with Jamal and Bob here at Loyola, and to, to see how are they already happening and how uh, uh, one of the doctor, one of the researchers calls it uh, broaden and build and how you can broaden and build on that, I jump at the opportunity. My invitation to this talk um, from Bob and from Frank was really about right, the anecdote or, or um, the lived practice. And, and when I think about flourishing and my experience at Loyola, and, and, and I've seen Loyola from a multitude uh, of different uh, perspectives, and I'll talk about that again a little bit later, it's, it's really about how do we connect these young men, right? Do, how do we turn uh, 1,200 uh, young men from diaspora parts of Los Angeles and backgrounds and things of that sort, and really truly build them into brotherhood. And and, uh, and obviously in some of the small practices that I have from basketball to directing um, the Office of Equity Inclusion to participating on Kairos or, or going to the Nation Family Teaching, right? I'm always amazed. Um, and I'd even say today we had a, a small meeting of some of our Rupe leadership group um, and we started to, 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 to ideate about Voices of Justice this week. I'm always amazed um, that both intentional and unintentionally how uh, the young men support each other. Like once, uh, you know, once that bond, they, they can recognize each other's humanity, right? Um, and I talk a little like, they knock down the wall of the other. Like they see themselves really 
um, in their friends and, and hopefully in their teachers uh, and, and hopefully in these walls and in the mission um, that the flourishing is, is driven uh, by wanting to belong to something bigger than themselves. And so, um, um, you know, I think, I think in, in, a real, in a real way, uh, we are fighting tooth and nail in 2019 uh, with, with our young men, particularly our young men, but I would say all young people have a daughter uh, and a son. And this idea uh, of, not, uh, of really being about themselves, right? And, um, and if we can turn them outward, I know, I know uh, Father Greg talks a lot about that, right? Can we turn them from inward facing to outward facing over their time here at Loyola? Um, that I think that um, they flourish uh, because what they see is the possibilities in other people. And so tonight, hopefully, uh, with, again, some of the models that we're both be talking about, hopefully bring that to life a little bit. The more I talk with Jamal and Bob, the more I realize what fits at Loyola is this Dr. Seligman's model. It's an acronym. So PERMA, and I'll tell you a little how I see each one and then we'll move forward. But so the P is um, positive emotion. So one of the things I will go to, I'm at Blessed Sacrament at the center there. It's the old convent. So it's people literally living under the bridges, on the sidewalks. I mean, you really need, they like, Father Frank, what do we need to get in here? I'm like, really a pulse. Like, <laughs> come on in. And every once in a while, I'll get millennials and they'll want to put up, you know, iron gates and gun control and all. I'm like, if someone's going to get in, they're going to get in. So it's a very low barrier. But one of the exercises we do every day is called, we did it at your, that thing, WWW. And I'm happy to report it's not World Wide Web, <laughs> but what went well. And you have to say three things. If we had more time, we'd do it. But you can do this on your own. Three things that went well, and I appoint someone like Bob would be my negativity police. Any negativity, you stop immediately. And people are always like, Dr. Buckley, damn it, I came here because I have problems. I'm like, I'll talk to you about your problems afterwards. But we're just going to stick to what went well because all the neuroscience shows. Once is frontal lobes, the neurons start firing. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Then they secrete hormones into the body. Body. We have an infinite pharmacy of norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin that are all happy hormones. So that's a positive emotion. Uh, then engagement. That's why I thought with with Jamal, like it just being in your office the other day, what is inclusivity uh, and uh, equity and inclusion, equity and inclusion. Like, how do we help people? At the end of the day, I think the number one thing for flourishing is really this engagement or what I call community. I just Heard on the radio, you know, Orange County has the highest suicide rate for teens in the world right now. And they've built a whole separate wing at Hogue Hospital just for teenagers. And the two main reasons are, one, the more social uh, media they're on, the greater the suicide possibility. And then the other was the pressure to get into good colleges. So how do we, and, and then Huffington Post, this thing of loneliness, like, how do we engage people to build a community? Even as we gathered here tonight, and I loved how you introduced us, had us introduce ourselves, we start to build community. Because, I mean, we all have this feeling of loneliness. And as Dorothy Day, who started the Catholic Worker, the way out is community. So that's positive. R is relationship. Like, how do we get in relationship with others? We are more human than we are otherwise. And then meaning is um, again that came out of the talk with the different with the service projects with becoming men and women for others 
how do you build meaning and a life that matters? And then last is accomplishment. And uh, we always, we have one, one group specifically for crystal meth addicts at the center. And like the group always ends like, let's give ourselves a round of applause because one of the evidence-based practices for flourishing is accomplishment. And yet it's really hard to recognize it. Like we can say things that went wrong, but like to notice when like with accomplishment and the more Jamal talked to me, like whether it's in the classroom or on the basketball court um, of celebrating these accomplishments. So I think it's a good model for flourishing. I think it touches every piece. I, I, I thought it was amazing. So, and, and, and Bob and Frank pushing on me uh, about the model. You know, I think in my own brain, I like to think of like, what's my practice at Loyola? Uh, and I think about it a lot. Um, up here, you see a variety of photos. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, about myself. For those that don't know, I am an alum, uh, class of 1990. Uh, but if I'm really honest, I came to Loyola kicking and screaming. I was a public school kid. Uh, whose dad wanted me to come to a great school, uh, but wasn't, you know, he wasn't, uh, honestly, wasn't interested in my formation as it relates to to uh, faith and, for, and things of that sort. Well, unbeknownst to him, uh, beyond flourishing as a student and beyond flourishing as an athlete, uh, my foundation of faith and, and really how I see myself uh, reflected in the world was really built in this space uh, known as Loyola High School. I had so many teachers, uh, some that are still here, uh, that saw in me uh, not only um, um, my blessings and my abilities, uh, but really nurtured in me the opportunity to meet and be with people. And so uh, from here, um, um, I went to Columbia, I played basketball there, um, had quite a bit of success uh, playing basketball and uh I got to a crossroads in my senior year about trying to play professionally over in Europe or going to work. Um, and uh, I kind of had both feet in, the, in, in both buckets. Uh, and I was blessed. I had an opportunity to go play in Portugal or go work in Merrill Lynch. Um, and But speaking of like opportunity, purpose, and things of that sort, uh, my senior year at Columbia, we were awful. And I don't lose well. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, I lost my last 11 games as a college senior. Uh, though I had a great uh, year and career, uh, the losing got to me. And I honestly, uh, my dad was there on senior night, Saturday night, uh, my last game ever against uh, University of Pennsylvania. Had a great night, uh, but I was so frustrated that I walked off the court, like out of this door, and I took my shoes off in the like hallway. I threw them in the trash. I told my dad I never want to play basketball again. And that Monday, I decided to go work for. I took an offer to go work for Merrill Lynch, and so, and in retrospect, I don't think that's the greatest way to make a decision. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I wish I had uh, discerned a little bit longer. Uh, I think playing basketball a little bit longer while my body was able would have been fun. But, but nonetheless, I went to go work uh, in finance. I did that for almost eleven years, and I'm going to try and briefly contain this. Um, I got to another crossroads, and and I think for those that know me. Um, and those that don't, um, it was really at the crossroads of a, of a tragedy that brought me back to Loyola High School. I had a younger brother who was class of 94 here, uh, was every bit, if not more brilliant than I was. Uh, went to Penn, uh, Wharton School of Business, uh, graduated cum laude, um, got his MBA from Northwestern, was 
At 26, he was a, uh, a young MD at a, at a private equity firm in Chicago, and unfortunately was diagnosed with cancer, brain cancer. And over the next five years, though, he fought valiantly. Unfortunately, he succumbed to brain cancer at 31, and it was during that time frame um, that I was at a crossroads. I wasn't really very fulfilled in the world of finance. Uh, it didn't give me much purpose, which gets a little bit. And uh, I was contemplating coming back to Loyola. I was coaching, uh, but still working downtown at 7th and Fig uh, and making a really decent amount of money. And uh, um, it was at one of his, 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 unfortunately, one of his chemo treatments that he, uh, that I was, I was kind of going back. I called him and I was, in a lot of ways, is how I, I work. I had like a piece of paper, I had pros and cons. And like the pros list was really short. The cons list was really long. Uh, negative self-talk is something that I fight all the time. But uh, as I'm telling this, my brother, who's, 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 who's pretty, um, has a low energy cycle, was just, he said something to me that's never left me. He said, you need to go back and teach and coach at Loyola because that's what you were meant to do. And it really was a spur that, that, that brought me back. Um, and uh, that photo, I think upper upper right, is my dad in the middle. It's my brother. Kind of right before he really took his last uh, turn negatively um, and ultimately ended up hospice care. So, so um, and, then, and now I'm back. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm moved by... Bob's testimony, and there's a number of families or folks in here whose young men I've intimately had an opportunity to teach or coach uh, who have said some really nice things about me. Um, <clears throat> but the truth of the matter is, right, um, I love what I do. And um, and I really, when I was thinking about the work, uh, how one of a, how we flourish uh, as, as individuals, I really think um, it's this like, kind of like this the synergy of three, three deal, three, 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 three ideas, right? First is purpose. It's, it's, it's really, um, I think, asking ourselves some difficult questions about kind of what makes our heart pitter patter and, and, and can we do that um, in a way that sustains us, right? Obviously, we don't live in a world that allows us to live for free. Uh, so, so, so there is, there is a little bit of, of obviously a melding of, of purpose and, and sustaining oneself. And then there's opportunity. Um, and, and, and I really think about opportunity and capacity in the same ways. The way I think about capacity is like, have we done the work, uh, so that when that opportunity opens itself up, that we can, we can fully, um, um, actuate, you know, or, or, or realize, excuse me, that opportunity at its, at its, at its, at its fullest. Um, I think with the young men, right, at Loyola High School, if I could, um, crystallize what I think is my purpose in being there mentor, coach, teacher, or oftentimes just sounding board, right, is giving them the courage uh, to align um, what, what does enthuse them, the courage to align that, the, the, the space to pursue it, right, and the opportunity to, to, uh, to, to go after it and, and to do it in a way that they can't be afraid to fail. Um, you know, I get a lot of accolades of people uh, as Bob says, like in terms of like uh, living the mission of, of man for others, and and I really come back to this this space, right? If there wasn't a Loyola, I don't know if that opportunity would exist. And had I not been for Loyola, I don't know that I would have had the had had somebody pour into me uh, the capacity. And and though I miss my brother every day, every day, and if you come in my office, 
one of the things I'm most proud of is that when he passed, my mom took uh, his favorite T-shirts and built a quilt. And I have that quilt hanging in my office. Um, I see it every day. Uh, and I, but I also would suggest this, that without um, that tragedy in my life, I don't know that I would have had the courage to really pursue purpose. Um, and so, um, again, I think in all the blessings that I've had and why folks have attached themselves to me is I think that my light is driven by, by those three things that, um, that I try to wake up every morning. And when I think about um, all the things that I do here, and Dr. Holmquist, who I know cares for me deeply, is always telling me I'm doing too much. And in a lot of ways, she's right. Uh, I really struggle to say no because I just feel like my, um, my job has aligned itself uh, both from purpose but uh, with an amazing opportunity. And I've been really lucky and blessed to have the capacity to do what I do. And so those are my two things, yeah. things I want to share. One thing, I, I live in this world of ideas, but Jamal always brings me back down to earth. <laughs> and like, it, it just, it, like all of the research backs us up. When I said flourishing cuts deeper, when you think, how do you flourish through this kind of really unbelievable difficulty in your life of a brother who dies at 31? One. And, and the idea, I really think Herb Yalom at Stanford captures it because a lot of times with death, we want to push it away. But he has a beautiful saying that I, I, I've never forgotten since the first time I read it in undergraduate school at Berkeley was um, while the physicality of death destroys us, the idea of death saves us. And like one of the beautiful teachings of the Catholic Church, I believe, is the intercessory of saints. That, that even with death, the brother is physically gone, but clearly, he's as alive here, more alive than my own brothers in my life right now. So, like, this is how flourishing, when we get into meaning, can bring us to a, such a deeper place than we never even dreamt possible. So that's, uh, with flourishing, they talk about um, what are the difficulties with it. And there's a um, doctor, we'll get to her in a minute, but Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, and she talks about this thing called toxic stress. And what I want to present today with you is that on the on high school campuses, uh, that really uh, no one gets a get out of jail card free with this toxic stress. And she looks at it under this umbrella of trauma, not like 911, but really an overwhelming experience beyond what you would expect. And then sees how toxic stress shows up. So with this toxic stress, and again, I would say these are your children when they're coming home from school. In this world of technology, I, I also have to disclose because I also, in the Jesuit world, I'm an outlier. My, my sister died five years ago. I'm raising a niece who is 15 at Immaculate Heart. I have spent from 10 till 2 at parent-teacher conferences. So um, <laughs> I'm with you, parents. So, me, so I don't have the answers. I'm just giving the research. But you know, every single teacher with my niece said, rest. You know, and she's varsity tennis. So I don't know really the answers. And then one, the geometry teacher really came to my aid because she said, I have two teenage boys also. And with technology, it's really, really hard. The worst day I've spent... I've had her since fifth grade, was the 
two weeks ago, I asked her, I said, we're going to unplug at nine o'clock at night. And you've never seen a child explode like this. <laughs> so toxic stress, it's definitely in our household. It's also in the Jesuit community. Like we're always bumping up against it in LA with traffic. And what Nadine Burke Harris, she came across this thing of toxic stress is she's a brilliant researcher. I definitely recommend her book if you're looking for more on this, The Deepest Well. And she she's a pediatrician from Stanford, Harvard, Masters in Public Health. Great writer, the poet here, Douglas, I, I recommend her. She's beautiful in every way. But what what her job was, she got out of Stanford and she thought, I'm going to go to Atherton or Palo Alto or Pacific Palisades. And I'm going to open up this huge clinic and be tremendously successful. But the world had other ideas about her and a job came up at Hunter's Point, which is the poorest area in all of San Francisco. Okay, so you know, there was one pediatrician for 35,000 kids. So she comes into this. And she does these things called ACE scores, Adverse Childhood Effects, they're 0 to 10. And to her surprise, like every one of these kids is 4 to 10 on the ACE scores. So she starts looking at ways to lower their stress. And what she comes up with, and this is what I really believe, I think she's named it. I'm putting together a drug and alcohol program right now called Connections for People on the Streets in Hollywood that is just right out of her research. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. I'd say if you want Loyola to really flourish, don't waste your time with other stuff. Like she's done the research and here it is. So I like at the at the wellness center, every single one of our groups begins with a mindfulness exercise. Not because I'm a Jesuit, I think prayer and meditation is good, but because Research shows that it really works. There's a, for doctoral students at Harvard, they did a study where all they did in the research and design class, they had two classes, same kids. One began with a little med one minute meditation and the other went on with class as usual. And the kids, kids did phenomenally better in the class that did the mindfulness. We know mindfulness lowers stress, boosts the immunity system, improves the cardiovascular system. It's good for everything that ails us. So in, introducing mindfulness. So that's why we did, mine was more than a minute. You can do it tailored to how you want. The whole thing is just coming to the breath and focusing on being in the present moment. Second, that's why I asked Jamal to do, and uh, maybe let me just go through it. You yeah, can just yeah, say you a, little, no, you no, a little more on exercise because you're the man on this. <laughs> but, but honestly, like we know exercise is good for the body. Obviously, look at these kids, how well they do in sports. But what the newest research shows, as good as it's for the body, it's even better for the mind. People, we used to think the mind started declining in old age. People who exercise, the mind gets better. So I start every group, I'll do push-ups, jumping jacks, anything, get people moving. And then rest, again, five of the seven teachers of my niece said that she needs rest. She looks like she's falling asleep in class. Like kids are sleep deprived. Father Greg Gothels, all the faculty are here. I would tell you, you are marking, marching up the wrong street with starting school early. I've argued with Immaculate Heart. I've lost everywhere I've gone on this battle. <laughs> but all of the research is 100% teenagers are sleep deprived. They are not, they need to be able to get up, sleep later in the morning, come to school later. The schools have done this 
have done tremendous. Also, with exercise, I want to put the plug. The schools, uh, I lost this battle too at USF. I wanted, I was counselor, I wanted to take the the sofas out of the counseling center and put, uh, what are those things? Treadmills. And Dr. <laughs> Thomas said, absolutely not. But I mean, all those kids do, they, in their pajamas, they come to counseling. I'm like, let's get them moving. But like exercise they did in Chicago, inner city kids, they put them on the treadmill three times a week. ADHD went down, anxiety went down, depression reduced. They sent them to the world where we historically do terrible on the test. And the kids from Chicago scored first in math and seventh in science. It's mm. like unbelievable. So that so then the rest, and not only your teenagers, but look in the mirror, you're all sleep deprived. We're living, I was at the teacher, the parent teachers, every one of them had Starbucks espressos. Like we are over caffeinated and in much need of rest. And like again, Ignatius would say that. Take eight days uh, a year off and go do a retreat. Do the examine at the end of the day. Press the pause button. And then nutrition. Again, there's Tommy Rosen, Recovery 2.0. Unbelievable work on we are what we eat. Like this thing of nutrition, even with global warming, like to really try to eat nutritiously. And then um, last, but by far not least, is to can continue to build this thing of community. If you read Huffington Post last week, uh, number one problem in college universities across the country is loneliness. But Jamal, just I'm done, but a little more on exercise. Well, yeah, I think, I, I do think, right, we see, you know, I mean, there's that, <laughs> that balance as I, uh, us coaches here are awfully demanding about the amount of time that we're with our guys, but I do, I see, right, our guys come in, and for us, like, I want them to change their mindset from having sat and sat and sat in class uh, to a 250 and walk in the gym. It's energized. Uh, we often allow them to build their own playlist, and everything that I have, our success, and we've won a lot of basketball games, is in some respects that they can walk in. And, and, and I don't know that I did this intentionally, but our first 20 minutes of practice was almost the exact same every day. And it almost, I want them to get into a autopilot type of situation. The music, oh, coach is gonna have us pass, we're gonna cut, we're, we're gonna stretch, we're gonna pass, we're gonna catch, we're gonna make layups, we're gonna make jump shots, we're gonna laugh, right? Someone's gonna break out in the dance. And then we get to work. Uh, what I have found um, in a lot of ways, I want, my guys to want to come to practice. And I think um, if anything that has been a kind of a key to our success um, uh, at Loyola in our basketball program and, and why I like to think that I have so many young men that have played for me Nicotine that asked me to be in their lives, which I'm very proud of, is because there was an environment that allowed them uh, to thrive and flourish. And, and we practice six times more than we play a game. We might practice then one year accounted when we went really far. We had something like 100 practice or around there, maybe 80 or 90 practices, and we played 26 games, 30 games. And so I do think that environment's important, um, and and it also needs to be inviting. And I just, again, when I, we were putting this together, the anecdote, there's just so many. I, I do think about the rest. I've cut back on our early morning practices. Um, I try to even make our practices shorter. The problem is we're a commuter school. That hurts us. Um, just the amount of time guys have to travel to get here. But I'm always mindful and duck in the test. Like, 
uh, more is not or more time is not better right and so can we be shorter get it done get out get rest right yeah and, and get and get the the guys to sleep but uh, we taper way back as the year goes on um and uh, I definitely uh, I'm in the midst of asking um, someone on campus to help us with some mindfulness exercises with our team as we start practice. So uh, I, I'm just a big believer in so many of the different things that you've talked about um, in this. And I think they relate to, to athletics big time and then obviously life as a whole. All right. So so interestingly, right. So I think that last piece about um, uh, that Frank talked about in terms of community. Um, and, and I'm going to kind of put on one of my other hats. So here we go. All right. The man of many hats, but in, in, in my role as director of equity inclusion, um, I think I've had a lot of questions uh, from the community there. There's definitely some folks that have been, oh, well, are we indoctrinating kids? And are we only talking about these, some of these negative factors in lives? But I would tell you that the way that I think about my role as director of equity inclusion is to encourage all of us, all of our community, my adult community, our teachers, staff, and faculty, and particularly our kids, to ask this question of how do we live well together? And and, and, and that question uh, inherently uh, in the idea of together is really about who who am I in relationship to, to, to everybody else. And so uh, when I think about this, um, this summer, uh, I was really uh, moved by a presentation that, that Greg Boyle did for those of us that were lucky enough to be in Chicago. And and if you've ever read, um, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Tattoos, on the, Tattoos on the Heart, right? He dedicates a lot of time to this concept of kinship, right? And belonging to each other uh, and what have you. Uh, and, and what I had said um, to, to, to Frank when we were thinking about this is that um, in a real way, I think if I could, I know I would be successful in my role as Director of Equity Inclusion, if I could get us to erase and, and, and erase out of our minds the idea of the other, right? That there's no us or them, it's just we, right? Like that um, um, Father Boyle talked about the idea that we should all go out and stand at the margins. The people that, that Frank are talking about and stand at the margins, right? And be in kinship with them until the line is erased. There is no margins if, if we all go out there um, and if we're willing to, to stand uh, in kinship with each other. Um, and, and my last nugget that he took away that I just, I, I can't stop saying it. And I was lucky enough to speak to a, a large group in Santa Clara. Uh, and I talked about this and he said that tenderness is the highest level of spiritual uh, maturity. Um, uh, how do we, um, you know, the idea of being tender, I think, uh, right, is to be so open hearted um, that, that we are most certainly willing to step into other, someone else's shoes, right? We live in difficult times, like toxic stress. Um, you know, I talked to the young men on our campus and, and the issues of like, even just what news to listen to. Um, someone said this in another training I was talking about, it's like, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about politics on our campus because everything we do is political. What we should be careful of is allowing our conversations on our campuses to turn into partisan conversations, right? That we should, we should engage our kids in the ideas of, of, of gender equity, um, of, of migrant rights, um, uh, of race and racism. Um, th those things are in line with our mission, right? And we don't want to have those necessarily, those discussions. We could be a secular school, but in the mission um, and in the idea of being men and women uh, with and for other people, uh, that with peace is important. 
Um, and, and though we all come from drastically different and diverse experiences, um, I think the most enriching part about moving forward and being the best that we could be, right, is, is this idea that we are a community um, and that I have that I allow myself to knock down those barriers and I don't see those uh, that I live with as the other. I just see them as me. I, I recognize uh, their humanity. And um, and so uh, I think at the tables today, I just would, would encourage us as we eat dinner tonight to think about what are some of those barriers that, that hold us back from the other. Um, you know, we could probably name some of those in terms of fear and anxiety, ignorance, uh, right, a lack of experience. Um, and unfortunately, the only way to overcome some of those things is to to place ourselves in those spaces. Um, the last thing I want to talk about as it relates to this was that this summer, um, my supervisor, Paul Jordan, uh, took a number of us on a retreat and he challenged us to write a personal leadership statement. And, and the thing that I think is really funny and, and I want to call her out is that Kristen Jones, who is sitting back here, uh, who does a lot of great work, um, uh, success coach, is that, would that be proper? Peak performance, Peak performance coach, thank you. Uh, I, I had the blessing of her son playing for me the last four years, uh, give and take, and then the, our younger son is coming through um, and has a chance to be a big part of it. But but Kristen has opened up her space to me to talk about my own practices. And this is an exercise that she challenged me to do uh, maybe a couple of years ago. To be honest with you, I wasn't in a spot or a place to be open to it. But, but nonetheless, um, because of this space, we were in a meditative space, we were away. I was able to um, really think about, again, purpose, opportunity, and my capacity. Um, I really thought about um, my leadership statement and sitting in my office, and Frank was over there the other day. He was like, Jamal, I really like this. And and I would, I'll say this maybe really quickly if you mind. What, what word do you think really spoke to Frank the most in my leadership statement? Good guess. Now, now I'm forcing everybody to read it. Yeah. <laughs> Personal, like, uh, yeah. Say it again. Joy. When when he saw that, he was like, Jamal, I love this. And, like his finger went right to joy. Like and and again, as we think about flourishing, um, and we think about uh, the things that we we can do, both personally, but particularly as we think about the last model, uh, being in community. Right. I think. Um, I was thinking about this. I probably could have even done a better job in our ready piece because I like to do this with our guys. Is not only do we get in stance, but we clap, we make noise. I think enthusiasm um, is contagious. Uh, I think you know the idea sometimes to reach our primal selves in terms of uh, noise and movement and all those things allow us to connect. And, and most importantly, I think um, I think that if we exude joy, uh, that it is reciprocal in the universe. Next month, we are going to have another great uh, conversation around poetry, save a soul. Doug Brown is going to be uh, leading us and a colleague of Frank's up at the center, Nathan Sheets, who's the executive director up there, also runs a workshop for uh, people, poetry workshop at a local library for people from the neighborhood and people living on the streets. So it's going to be another rich opportunity to go into some concrete about what it is to, uh, to 
flourish and to build community together. I wanna to make sure that we really thank these two right here.